0: What I love about the Finsey Scholarship is that it allows people to pursue their curiosity often into quite fascinating niche areas. And today I'm about to wax lyrical about historical organs with Julian Perkins, who is the artistic director of the Cambridge Handel Opera Company, as well as being a period specialist when it comes to keyboards and all manner of instruments. Julian, hello. Hello. How are you?
1: Um, Well, I'm fine. I mean, it's been quite an exhausting time for me, actually, because up until Monday, we were homeschooling our two young boys. So... This week's been a blessing, they've been at
0: school. <laughs> well, thanks for sneaking this podcast in. My first question to you, Julian, is because it is a reasonably niche area, but we're used to that with the Finsey scholarship. Honestly, uh, we had a piece recently that was inspired by the tracks of Arctic hares, for example. So My goodness. So this, this is relatively mainstream. My first question to you, though, is how did you get into the whole period scene and, in particular, historical organs?
1: Well, I was very fortunate at school there were various organs i could play on for chapel services and there was even a harpsichord so it was a wonderful place to try lots of baroque music and i also played for a recorder, and i sang in choirs where we sang a lot of early music so i had a, a great way in to the style through those experiences
0: What is it particularly about, say, the sound of a harpsichord or of the organ or of the recorder that so appeals to you?
1: I find with a harpsichord, it's the immediacy of the sound, the brilliance of articulation, which compels you to play in a very rhythmic manner. On historic organs, there's a wonderful panorama of sounds which invite one to try lots of different interpretations with the music and the instrument informs the interpretation very much.
0: So that's interesting, you had these opportunities while at school, and then you were able to explore that whole world further. But my question is, how did you get then to this whole area, particularly of historical organs?
1: As a student, I remember the esteemed harpsichordist Kenneth Gilbert telling me that it was a shame that players often thought of the organ repertoire as being like the other side
0: of the moon. I love that.
1: Yes, it's great, isn't it? It's a lovely image, isn't it?
0: It surprises me. Does it surprise you that it it felt so alien and so distant to him and he would represent it thus? Because it would, to the outside layperson, it's only a short skip and a jump, really, from harpsichord to organ repertoire.
1: Yes, I mean, he's probably being devil's advocate a little bit. I think in terms of touch, they're very different, because on a harpsichord, you're often wanting to overlap the sound to create sonority. And on an organ, that would be pretty disastrous. It would be very sort of murky and muddled then.
0: Is it as if the instrument shows you how to play?
1: Absolutely. And with the pilgrimage, I had the good fortune to undertake through a Trust. This was very much an experience which proved that to be the case.
0: Tell us more because that happened in 2007.
1: That's right, yes. Uh, it was an organ pilgrimage, if I can call it a pilgrimage, where I went to the Netherlands and Sweden to experience at first-hand historical organs and copies of, as well as meeting leading exponents.
0: I personally, and this just is displaying my ignorance, didn't think of Scandinavia as a place where you might find historical organs.
1: That was a fascinating part of this pilgrimage, going to the Goart Institute in Gothenburg, also known as the Gothenburg Organ Art Centre. The jewel McCrown is the Urgeta New Church, in which one of two organs is a four-manual instrument that embodies the aesthetic ideals of Buxtehude's organ at Lübeck Cathedral, which was sadly destroyed in World War II. Anyway, I wanted to share with you a rather unusual bit of information about this instrument, because it's possibly unique in having several different types of bellows. So one can literally choose on which lungs to play, showing how the organ can be a living instrument replete with if you can pardon the expression erratic
0: wind <laughs> erratic wind yes i think that can be utterly pardoned because it's now the quote of the podcast <laughs> and i'm thinking of scandinavian organs with irritable bellows syndrome <laughs> but back somehow to the matter in hand which is i suppose i have this question how did this first-hand contact with these formidable instruments actually inform your practice? Because I guess there must be two basic leanings. Either you go to orthopraxy and you develop almost a a dogma around representing faithfully the composer's intentions as far as we can uh, discern those. Or perhaps you feel a sense of liberation and it invites more experimentalism. So... Which area do you lean towards most?
1: I'd like to think I'd be leaning more towards the second. I think it's great to have the discipline and the dogma, as you put it, of understanding original instruments and their limitations. But at the same time, I think this should show you what tools the composers were working with and try and develop these and these experiences on your own terms so that you can share music as best convinces you for other people.
0: So let's go into the specifics then. I read in your report that you were able to play on the famous baroque organ by Schnittger in the Lawrencekirche in Alkmaar. So what did you notice specifically through playing on that instrument?
1: Three things spring to mind. Firstly, the physicality of playing the instrument. The touch on this instrument matches the sound in a way that I found relatively rare in historical copies of organs. Contrary to the electronically assisted keyboard actions found in many so-called baroque organs, the keys and pedal notes are connected to the pipes via wooden trackers. So this makes one engage physically with the sound and adapt one's touch according to the volume. So one can't gloss over musical details. One really has to get get into the instrument, quite literally. And then the second thing is the sonority. So I'm thinking about the rich overtones I heard on the various reed and mutation stops of this wonderful instrument in Alkma. There's a real richness to the sound. So, And also the, what I call the chif. Of a pipe, the onset of the sound.
0: I love that word, chiff.
1: It's great, isn't it? The chiff.
0: Immediately takes you to what you mean. I,
1: good. I'm glad to hear that. It's a lovely sound, isn't it? Chiff. And it, it, this demanded a nuanced approach to articulation because on a really good instrument one too can to an extent control the speed at which the air enters the enters and leaves the pipe so the release of the note becomes as important as its onset so this to me was both a very revealing and I confess a very demanding experience.
0: You've answered one of my questions which was going to be did you actually enjoy the experience? What You know, this new physical challenge of having to press into the keys more.
1: I loved it because it, it definitely got me out of my comfort zone, but it also showed that, you know, performing these instruments, you had to invest physically in them. And I think the danger sometimes is that if one is too dogmatic, one can read the treatises, particularly for the school, and just think it can be a sort of head and fingers show. And this shows that performers... The players, I should say, back in the time, did have to think about how they used their whole body to play the sound.
0: I'd love to see how you perform now at the harpsichord. Do you think you're more physically invested as a result?
1: Uh, <laughs> I'd love to think so. I mean, obviously, it's a lighter touch on the harpsichord than this great big organ in Alkma. So I don't need to sort of, you know, have as much strength, if you like. But I, I like to have an awareness in my body from my back. So that I'm, and but I'm also breathing. So that when I play the harpsichord, there is a sense of involvement. I hope
0: it occurs to me that we've gone off, as is typical of me, on an enthusiastic diversion. You were saying hmm. about three elements. So we mentioned, or you mentioned, the the physical touch and the sonority of the instrument. What what's the third? The the actual
1: building that the organ in Alkma is housed in, also a lot of historical organs, there's a real sensitivity between the size of the instrument and the size of the building. They are in proportion to one another. And I'm sure that happens a lot nowadays with instruments, but I found this was very much the case with these instruments. And so one learns how to listen to the building when choosing one's tempo and how one might articulate. So the building acts quite literally as a sound box. So this gave me this gave me an awareness of that and how it's important to respond to one's environment.
0: Can you give us an example of a piece that particularly came alive through being played on a historical instrument?
1: Yes, a toccata by Buxtehude, which is very much a mysticus fantasticus style, the, the fantastic style, which was this wonderful style which emerged where there's this wonderful. Dialectic, I should say, between improvisation and counterpoint. So there's freedom and discipline inherent in the structure. And I found playing this organ, I could really, they aligned up naturally with the free sections. Because, of course, if you play too freely, it just becomes a bit sort of haphazard. So having the instruments sort of discipline me in a way to show me how to be free, both with the instrument and with the acoustic, showed that when I arrived at the contrapuntal sections, that there had to be still a sense of tact. Or sort inherent throughout the piece and that the instruments have demanded that of me if you like.